Hello, friends. Welcome to the first episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest on the podcast is Lizzie Van Patten. Lizzie is a climber and the founder of She Moves Mountains, a female guide company whose mission is to help women realize their strength through rock climbing. You can learn more about them at shemovesmountains.org. We talked about how Lizzie got started in climbing and what led her to start her own guiding business. We talked about projecting 12 plus trad and why she's currently working on projecting fear. We talked about why she never feels embarrassed, about meditation and her daily gratitude practice, and a lot more. Everything we talked about is linked in the show notes, including clips and videos, links to all the routes we mentioned, and more information about She Moves Mountains, including their upcoming clinics and events. You can find all of that over at thenuggetclimbing.com. I love this interview. I've known Lizzie a long time, and I learned a bunch of new stuff, and I think you guys will dig it. So please enjoy this conversation with Lizzie Van Patten. All right, we're live. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Steven. Thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. So you have become a pretty badass climber, but one thing I really appreciate is that you're really good at having fun. <laughs> Tell me about the rollerblades. The rollerblades. So I have a pair of hot pink rollerblades from 2002, and I used to speed skate when I was younger, and as I've gotten older, I really wanted to keep speed skating or skating in my life, and so started roller gangs and that basically is us just um blading or being on anything on wheels as we go on adventures through town yeah i've been i've had the privilege of being a part of one of these roller gangs and it's like weird how good you are at roller blading. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> yes. kind of weird so you've been doing it a really long time yes i think i started roller blading or like speed skating when i was eight and is that a go-to rest day activity I mean, it's never any day activity if it's nice enough out and the yeah. sidewalks are clear. It's definitely time to go blading. Perfect. So I actually met you back in college. We went to Western Washington University in Bellingham. This was 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And I actually met you as a musician. I don't think you had rock climbed at all at that point. Right? No, I hadn't. <laughs> yeah. So I was just getting really excited about rock climbing and we didn't have a commercial gym in Bellingham at the time. So, uh, we just had a little rock wall at the school's rec center and I worked there and was a route setter and basically lived there. But I knew, I knew you completely separately from that. And I knew you as a musician. Um, I left college and about a year later, I think on Facebook, I stumble onto this video it was a music video, really well produced. It looked like a professional music video and it was you. And it was a song that you'd written featuring you singing it. And I remember seeing it and it was amazing. And I was just thinking like, oh my God, she did it. Like she made it. <laughs> and then nothing, radio silence after that. Uh, I just kind of assumed you'd like gone to LA and become some famous pop star or something. Three years later, um, I pop into Redpoint Red Point Climbing. This is a climbing shop right outside of Smith Rock. And there's Lizzie, and you're working behind the counter as a barista, and you're living in your van, and you're a full-time climber. So I would love to know, 
what led to that transition? Like what, where were you at with music and kind of what was that looking like? And then, uh, I'd love to hear about the transition that, that took you towards living in the van and rock climbing. It's really interesting to hear your perspective because I think you're one of the only people who has seen the full scale of all of that. Who knows me like as a rock climber and in the past. Yeah. The past life. The past life. Um, so I don't exactly remember when it first happened, but one of my kind of models for life is to, I just don't want to have any regrets. I don't want to look at my life and think what if. And so I tend to just try things and music had been my biggest passion for the majority of my life. And I was curious what I could do with it. And so one year when I was in college, I saw an audition for the Glee project and I flew down to Texas by myself and I auditioned for this show and I didn't make it past the first round of judges. And that was soul crushing. (laughs) But also I thought, well, you tried, that's, you get, you gave it, you gave it an effort. Now, you know, And I came home, but after that, I started receiving emails from the production company about different auditions for things. And I told myself, you know, that was really hard on you. You're not going to travel again because you invested money in that. That did not feel good. You, your self-esteem is not high enough to take those hits. Mm. And so I saw this audition for a TV show that required me to only submit an iPhone video. And so my dad had a video of me singing Amazing Grace in a stairwell. And I thought, well, this is easy for me. So I just submitted this video, thought nothing of it. And then I got a call. And there's another round of like video submission that needed to happen. And then I went on a TV show and... I learned the song. I performed it live in front of a giant opera house in Atlanta, Georgia and won the show. And then I had my own single and a YouTube video, well, a music video on YouTube. And And I I mean, it's amazing. I will just for people that are listening, I will, if you're open to it, (laughs) (laughs) I will uh, put the video in the, uh, in the show notes. That's at, at the uh, the nuggetclimbing.com. I'll put the video over there so people can watch it. The song was It Hurts? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did that show, but I remember being a part of that show and just all the critique that came from it was really challenging for me. And making the music video, they put all of this makeup on you and they make you change outfits like a million times a day and I just didn't feel like me. Mm-hmm. And through the process of recording my song, they're highly critical. And I just felt like I was being picked at. And this is my passion. I'm singing about something that's like really dear to my heart. And I had an entire room of people watching me and stopping me like midline to be like, that wasn't good enough. You need to do it again. I'm like, what do you mean? Why isn't that good enough? And so after that, I realized that music meant too much to me to allow other people to have a say in what that looked like for me. Mm. And also that I didn't feel like I could be my most like authentic self in the music industry. I think there's like a ton of luck involved with that. And 
I, I can work really, really hard and I didn't want to work really hard at something that also required just so much pure luck. And after that experience, I decided that that's not a path I wanted to pursue. So from there, (laughs) I, um, I finished up my math degree at Western. I double majored in mathematics and political science and social studies. So I had to do an extra quarter because they were both like really big majors. And after I finished... It's an interesting combo. Yeah, I just really loved both of them and couldn't <laughs> choose. <laughs> Fair enough. And so after I finished up, I knew that I wanted to be an actuary Um, they work with like probability theory and there's a bunch of tests you have to take. So I decided I was going to travel for one year and I decided on Patagonia for that one year because I watched a documentary called 180 degrees South. Oh yeah. I've seen that. That's great. So I watched that in college and I was like, I need to go to Patagonia. I'll put a link to that one too. That's a great film. It's a great film. And once I saw it, I knew that that was where I wanted to go, but I didn't climb at the time. Okay. And so before I left, I decided I wanted to take a mountaineering course so that I would be able to do some stuff while I was there. And on this mountaineering course, I got led up a like three pitch five, six in Washington pass called the Becky route. It's on Liberty Bell. Oh yeah. And I remember standing on top and in that moment, it seemed that all the things that made me, me were, I just felt so alive and so powerful and so full of life. And all of me was being celebrated at the same time as I was celebrating this natural landscape and I fell in love. And so the next month I bought a trad rack that summer. (laughs) I went to the bugaboos. I just followed up everything. And then I bought a one-way ticket to South America and I took off by myself and hiked into the mountains in Patagonia, Northern Patagonia by myself and could lead 5-8 trad and set off on an adventure. I mean, how did that work out? So you get there and you're like, hi, I'm Lizzie. This is what I can do. And just meet people as you went? Basically. Okay. Yeah. I There's an area in Northern Argentine Patagonia called the Frey. And I chose the fray because there was climbing that was easier, that was in my wheelhouse. So at this point in time, I could follow up to 510, but I could only confidently lead 58 trad. And maybe that was a little bit of false confidence as well. (laughs) And so I showed up with my gear and I just kind of looked around at who was there and I luckily got paired up with these two guys and one of them is a guide in the U S and it's like, okay, good group. This is who I'm climbing with. And, um, I had an attitude of I'll follow anything. And especially in early climbing, you're just so, so excited to be a part of anything that you're kind of gung ho and you're like, I can belay you. And you don't have this idea of what climbing should look like. And so Mm. with my partners, I made up this rule that I would, follow anything and if I couldn't do a move with like three tries then they had to haul me (laughs) (laughs) okay and so I did and I I climbed a ton that year I went to the fray in northern Argentine Patagonia and then I went over to Cochamo in the northern Chilean Patagonia and climbed pretty big routes and learned a ton and ended up leading 10d my first like six months of climbing that's really amazing. Trad route. Yeah. 
And then I came back home to index and I tried leading a 10 a and I pulled gear and sprained my ankle. Oh yeah. <laughs> index provides index will do that. Um, and so how did that lead into guiding? Cause you started guiding pretty like within a year of climbing. Is that right? Yeah. I started guiding pretty early on. So that first trip to Patagonia was really formative for me. I had planned on that trip to South America being a once in a lifetime trip. I'd saved up a bunch of money so that I could spend as much time as I wanted to out there. And I ended up coming home a little bit early cause I just missed being home. I was gone for six months and traveling alone by yourself mm, Yeah, for six months can be exhausting. And when I came home, I realized that my life would never be the same because I had just spent all of this time living out of a backpack and I was the happiest I had ever been. And so the question for me was, what makes me the happiest? And I, I didn't know. And so that's kind of what started me on this path to figure it out. Hmm. And I knew that I couldn't go back to what I had been doing. So constant studying, constant working. But I also didn't know what was next. And I figured, well, might as well try something. And so that is when I decided to move to Bend, is I wanted to be somewhere where I could work and climb. And okay. that's what led me to Redpoint. And I had hoped to get a job guiding, but I didn't know if that was in the cards for me. But it ended up working out. Great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So you show up to Redpoint, you work in the coffee shop a little bit, you start guiding, realize that you like it. Um, what was the, what, remind me, what's the owner's name of the guide company, Jim? Jim Ablau. Jim Ablau. With Chalkstone Climbing Guides. With Chalkstone Climbing. Okay. So then with Chalkstone, um, you met your friend Carrie, and then the two of you started leading women's clinics within, under the umbrella of Chalkstone. Yep. And then eventually you wanted to do a lot more clinics than, than, um, what was going to work for Jim and you guys, he kind of gave you the thumbs up to branch off and do your thing. Is that kind of how that came about? Yeah. That's essentially like exactly how it came about. I've heard you, I know that you've expressed this to me before. You, you are a very reluctant business owner. Does that resonate? Being a reluctant business owner Definitely resonated in the first few years. Okay. So it was something that you kind of saw a need or you felt pulled towards something and, and starting the business was kind of like the necessary evil to, to do what you felt like you wanted to or needed to do. For me, the women's clinics that we got to run with Chalkstone were something that I had never experienced. And so I knew that they needed to keep happening and we were offered to do two a year and I knew that wasn't enough. I need, I needed to do more. There needed to be more. What, what was it about it that, that made you, that gave you that kind of feeling of like, oh wow, this is something really different or special. I just saw women come alive. Hmm. I don't know how to explain it. I've tried finding the words to explain why I think it's so important, but I think the best way I can describe it is that these women come alone and they're timid and they're shy. And then you watch them come alive and thrive. And it's fun following them afterward because you can see what they become. And, and then they write to you too. And mm. they tell you how valuable and how important and how unique it was for them. And I knew that it needed to exist. 
And, and so for me there, I was faced with this moment of how much I loved my life, like Patagonia and that first trip taught me about simplicity and being calm. And there's a, there's a saying in Patagonia, those who rush in Patagonia lose time. Okay. And it's just this idea of like living slowly and simply because that's how you gain the most out of your time. I like that. And so when I came back, I I had embodied this feeling of what it was like to be there and owning a business I knew was going to be a huge departure from that. And yet I felt so compelled that it was my responsibility because if I didn't do it, then who would? Mm. And I had a really hard time coming around to it. And it was Carrie who really pushed for us to do it and told me that we were going to be able to make it happen and still maintain our lifestyles. Do you, and now we're a few years into this thing. Do you feel like that's true at this point? Do you feel like you're, um, I mean, I'm sure you don't have as much freedom as you would have if you hadn't started this whole thing, but do you feel like it's, you have been able to maintain that lifestyle that was so, um, that it so captured you and that was so life giving to you. I don't know if the lifestyle that had captured me was even sustainable for me Okay. in the long term, in the sense that I'm somebody who does need to achieve and, and, and more than in climbing. And so I think that I would have been pulled out of it one way or another. I think that my job and the work that I do now gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility. The first couple of years, even when I tried to create space for myself to do the things I wanted to, I I couldn't experience them in the ways that I felt before. So for example, going into the second season of Shimu's Mountains, I really wanted to make time to go to the Bugaboos. And I was like, this is important. You started this business. You love rock climbing. You love this place. Like you need to go. And I went during our season and I was distracted almost the whole time. And I have no service, so I can't know what's going on, but I was worried about what was going on Hmm. and I couldn't be present. So even though I'd created this space and time, my mind was somewhere else. And I climbed the biggest route of my life at that time. It was called the Becky Chenard and it's on South Hauser towers. And I remember getting to the top of it and I should have felt elated. And I just felt this kind of like, yeah, okay, we just did that. Let's Hmm. get off now. And so while it, while my job has created time for me to have these experiences, my ability to be present has been significantly affected. And I see that still happening today, but as I bring on more of a team and as I can hand off more of it, it's, slowing down. Like I find myself being able to be more and more present, but for the first few years, no way. (laughs) Got it. Okay. So you have a habit of taking some pretty big leaps, (laughs) whether I have a few examples. So whether that's starting a guiding business after one year of experience as a guide or leading a trad route you know, before you maybe are really fully ready to this last year, didn't you do winter sustenance? Yeah. A year, a little over a year a ago. A year ago. Now. Okay. So that was, that's a, um, winter sustenance is a five twelve, a solid five twelve at Trout Creek and Trout Creek is about 30 minutes North of Smith Rock. It's a really amazing trad climbing location or crag near, near here. 
And that was that your first 512? I had never climbed a 511 at Trout Creek. Okay, got it. Okay. So that's another example. Performing music, you know, most people <laughs> wait until they have practiced a song enough that they can't screw it up. Whereas <laughs> your approach is to practice it until you pull it off once and then just go for it. So I love it. I'm just so curious. Like, where does this uh, sort of go for it thing come from? Is it something that you um, are choosing intentionally or do you think it's like just your nature? Have you always been that way? I, I just would love to explore that. I thought about this question quite a bit. Where does it come from? I think it's definitely in my nature, but I think it's in my nature because of my upbringing. So I am the only girl in a family of three boys and I always wanted to keep up with them and to do everything that they were doing. And then as I got older, I just, I had a lot of friends who would talk about their aspirations and I started aspiring to be, I want to say more, but I don't like that word as if other people are less, but I, I aspired to want something different than what my life had looked like up to that point. And I did not have the easiest upbringing. Um, I love my family very much, but we, like when I was growing up, my parents developed a gambling addiction and we lost our house and, Whoa. um, my mom has bipolar disorder. And so I had to like struggle with the, her coming and going and, uh, she attempted suicide when I was pretty young. And so there was this like this degree of like self-sufficiency that had to be there. And my parents, both of them were adopted. My mom had a really rough life and she had, she did an amazing job as a mother, but she has had to battle so many demons. She was in foster care until she was eight. And so growing up, um, my parents really tried to take care of us, but I think they were also just trying to figure themselves out. My mom had my brother when she was 18, me when she was 21 and my little brother when she was 22 and that's pretty young to to yeah. to do things. So I don't want this to sound as like a condemnation of them, but more just like an honest expression of my experience in there. And I decided that I just didn't want to have to worry about money. And I want I knew I was intelligent. And my mom, she made us do hooked on phonics growing up. And I always felt that I had something in me. And and so I decided I wanted to go to college and I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. And I pushed really hard for all of that. And so I think um, at a very young age, so I think I was like 23, I <laughs> I accomplished more than I ever really imagined for myself to, to graduate with the degrees that I had graduated with to have traveled in the ways that I had. I went to Europe in college and also to Peru. I felt that I, I had lived a life well lived. Hmm. Um, I just didn't have a lot of expectations for my life. And so as I got older and kept <laughs> being alive, I just figured like, what is the worst that can happen? Like I had, I had a lot of really hard experiences growing up and, 
And so I figured that nothing I could go through was going to be worse than anything that I had already been through. And it kind of eliminates this pressure. And also for me, like being the first person to go to college in my family, like I didn't have this outer pressure from them to be someone. I was already someone by that simple accomplishment. And so I think the combination of like having had a tough upbringing as well as having no expectations of who I was going to be from my family gave me this space of feeling really capable Hmm. and unafraid because what was the worst that was going to happen? And so anytime I entered into any of these things, what was the worst thing? So I started my own business, like, okay, we fail. And then I do something else. Like I'm smart. I can figure it out. Or I go in front of this group of people and play piano. Cause I've done that before. Oh, this time didn't go well. It'll probably go better next time. And try this route because it's pretty <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> and I haven't really ever been one to follow rules. And I just try to follow what inspires me and Unfortunately, the 511 routes didn't inspire me. It was this route that I stared at and it was what I wanted to do. So I was just going to keep doing it until I figured it out. And so I've done a lot of things before I'm ready because the worst that can happen is really not that bad. Hmm. And I try to remind myself of that pretty regularly when I'm intimidated or want to do something like I want to say I don't have that much pride, but I totally do. I think that it's just really hard for me to feel embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) That's a superpower. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't get like, I don't really care. I, I do. It's a weird thing. I care what other people think. I'd be lying if I didn't. But I'm the person who wears like hot pink Crocs everywhere I go because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I like to dress up and be pretty, but I also like, most of the time don't care because it doesn't matter. And I I don't exactly know why that is. I think a lot of it is from my family of just like, they were just, my, my parents are both just themselves and they encouraged us to be ourselves. And I think it's just like trended into this life of just like, okay, well what's next? I don't know. Let's try something. (laughs) Maybe it will be cool. Maybe it won't. Then we'll know. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So, uh, she moves mountains. You started this. Are we what? Three years in at this point? It'll be three years in April. Okay. Since I first had the conversation learning that I would have to start my own business. Okay. Okay. And what, um, give me a little bit of the metrics as far as like how far things have come, where you guys are at now, like how many, you're teaching a lot of clinics a year. Um, and I know it's grown a lot. You have what half a dozen guides working with you, working for you now. Um, yeah. Where are things at with that now? So our first year, I don't remember the number of clinics, but we had something around like 97 around 97. I know the exact number we had 97 (laughs) (laughs) participants come and it's kind of hard to keep track of some, a lot of them, are repeats. So okay. we had 97 signups and whether or not they're the same person coming back for clinics, it's hard to tell. And going into our second season, we ended up having 300 signups and that one is actually an ish. Like and when a, you, when you say season, just to clarify, are you saying like season one is spring then fall or is it year or 
the year. So okay. season, but season one was short because season one was just July and August and like a couple weeks in September. Okay. Because we had just started and that's how long it took to get started from April. And then season two started in the last week of March and then went through the final week in September. And that's kind of our general season just due to weather. Okay. And second season we had about 300 signups and wow. yeah, yeah, it was just really cool. And then, um, third season we had about the same, but that was intentional. So Smith Rock State Park is an extremely busy park. Yes, it is. It's, it's to the point that you can't park in any of our parking lots and large groups come through and it's really important for me my company and I, we're in the spotlight. We are hard to miss. We do things differently. And so because of that, I want to hold us to a higher standard. With that, that means having minimal impact on the park. And for me, what that looks like is class size. Now, I do break that rule twice a year okay, <laughs> for very special events. But we try to keep our classes really, really small. And we don't want to have too big of an impact because I don't want to inconvenience other users at the park and sometimes we do and it's the right call and but I would like to make an effort to have minimal impact which means smaller groups and so for us the amount of clinics we're doing is probably as much as we want to do we don't want to do more so our numbers are staying the same but different things are changing about it so classes maybe two days now and they are smaller ratio and that kind of thing. So we're doing probably more clinics, but they look different because as we learn and figure out how to better interact with the park, we're not perfect, but we're trying our best. And so as we learn how to be better, our numbers change. But yeah, so it's gone from about 300 and it's again this year about 300. And how many guys do you have working for you? There are four that that is their main thing okay. working for me. And then we have three guest guides that come in when as needed. Okay. Um, and I've met several of them. I haven't met all of them, but hearing you talk about them and, and meeting some of them, it, I mean, it, my impression is that you have just somehow managed to surround yourself with an, an amazing group of women who are incredibly competent and somehow you're able to just hand them stuff and say, hey, go try this. And then they just knock it out of the park. So I'm, I would love to hear um, how how that's come to be. Like, how have you found these wonderful um, guys to work with? And how have you cultivated these relationships? And, and um, yeah, how's, how's that kind of come to pass? Each relationship with every guide is different. So it's... I'm going to try to talk in general, but it's, it's pretty complicated because sure. my relationship to each of them is so different, but basically all of them came to me. Okay. <laughs> That's, that shows that you're doing something right. That's really cool. It's really cool. And it's a trend that still continues today. I just responded to an email this morning from someone who is more than qualified to work for us and would travel to work for me. And I don't have any space for them because all of my guides will be coming back for the third year in a row mm. ever since I've had guides. And, but I think for me, why they stay and why they get stoked is 
because of how I do business with them. So one of the questions I like to ask them is what would make you feel stoked to do this job? And then we create price points for how much they're going to get paid based off of what makes them feel stoked. And they can see how I'm living and I try to be really honest about what's going on and everything that we do is based on fairness. And for me, it would be such a disgrace. It would be against everything that I believe to like be living in abundance while my guides are living in their vans. Mm -hmm. That that's incredibly unfair. And since I care about them and they know that I care about them, I think it creates this mutual respect for each other. And not everything that they do is amazing, but we try to work together to figure out how to make it amazing. And then also I try to find ways to make it so they can make the business their own as well. So what does that look like? Each of them has the opportunity to create their own program each year. Okay. And instead of just being like, I'm going to pay you this much for it, they get a percentage of the profits because I, in protecting my free time and how much I want to do, like I want to play and my business makes enough money for me to maintain the lifestyle that I want. So I don't want more work, but they have a lot of great ideas. So I don't want to tell them, no, you can't do this. And so the way that we've come up with it is we create percentages. So for example, maybe it's like a 70-30 split where Shima's Mountains will cover all of the expenses for the program they create, but it is their responsibility to market it. It is their responsibility to put it out into the world. I have to approve everything, but if their program is successful, then they get 70% of the profit from it instead of just a normal guide's wage. And... So that gives them the opportunity to think creatively. It gives them the opportunity to try things and also gives them a little glimpse into what I do and how I keep things running. And I think that creates a little bit of respect because I think a lot of people see what I've done and assume that it just happened. Sure. (laughs) And it didn't. Right. It takes a lot of work. And so I think giving them the opportunity to create their own programs and seeing how hard it is to get people to want to spend money on your programs creates respect for me and what I do and also gives them the opportunity to grow. And so I think that because those conversations start that way, and I've also said like, we might need to redress, like I'm going to try to pay you what you want, but in the event that I can't, we're going to have to revisit this conversation. As long as we can be open and clear in our communication, I'm okay having it this way. So I think right now that works. Who knows if on a bigger scale that would work, but. I mean, to me, that seems really brilliant because you're giving them freedom. You're, you're pulling in so much more creativity than you yourself, you know, are, you don't have to come up with everything yourself. Um, and then they're going to be just fired up and passionate about whatever project that they decide to do. So is that something that just felt natural and just kind of grew out of you organically? Or is that something you learned somewhere? It felt pretty natural to me and it was more in protection of myself than it was in, yeah. <laughs> in hopes of them creating something. You just something. want to go climbing. I just wanted to go climbing. I was like, that's a great idea. I have no bandwidth for it. Yeah. And I'm, I went through like years of counseling. And so I have a very clear understanding of boundaries hmm. and I know my boundaries with work. And like, I don't want any more work. Like that's not life giving to me but I understand that you want this. So do it. Mm -hmm. And one of my, one of my guides, Tori, she said 
Lizzie gives you enough rope to hang yourself with, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I think means that I give them enough freedom to fuck up uh-huh. and then it's up to them to make it work though. Like if they mess up, it's on them, but yeah. <laughs> Is there any advice that you'd have for yourself if you could go back and talk to Lizzie when she was just starting to think about starting the business? I wish I had more eloquent words for it, but I would just tell myself to believe in myself. I think one of the toughest things has been self-doubt throughout Mm. this whole process. Do you think you would have been able to hear that from yourself at the time? I don't think that there's anything I could have told myself that would have made this whole process easier on me. Hmm. I received a lot of advice along the way that helped, but it was more for specific things like about running a business. Okay. So things like don't have a 50, 50 partnership. Okay. It's recipe for disaster. Um, but in the, in the grand scheme of things going into this, I don't think that there is any, I guess if I had one piece of advice to give myself that I just heard recently and I wish I had heard it then was how important it is to build a solid team. And I'm grateful to have one now, but uh, it hasn't all been great. There has been bad members of the organization that have really made things difficult who I think wanted to be a part of it more for what they thought it would do for them rather than what they could do for it and how it would make them look to other people, the notoriety of it all, I guess. And so I think if I could give myself any advice, it would be to vet out the people that I am going to work with more thoroughly because I have naively just allowed people to join the team when I needed them. And then sometimes I think I've used them inappropriately, like not paid them well because I didn't have money to pay them. And it's something where they're working to build your future when it's a business and you can't, it's unfair to ask anyone for unpaid time unless it's very clear that that's what's happening and you make that very, very well known. And I think I've definitely like unintentionally taken advantage of people's times because of their stoke for the organization. I mean, that's really hard. I've seen a lot of that in this industry and there's almost an, an expectation or acceptance that that's just how it works. You know, there's not a whole lot of money in rock climbing And a lot of people get into working in the industry because it is a passion. I've been on the other side of that as well. I've been the employee that wasn't getting paid much at all because I was working for a company that made climbing stuff. And, um, yeah, there's, there's kind of this attitude like, Hey, you have the privilege of hanging out and making climbing stuff. So you have nothing to complain about. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I think it's just challenging. And I mean, to some extent you're, rock climbing guides 
was there a better way to go about it or was it just kind of like that's what you had to work with at the time and you made the best of it given where you were at? I think I did the best. I, I did as best as I could when I was in those moments, but I think that I should have been more clear and I think I gave a little bit too much promise sometimes. Okay. Got it. And not, it was never intentional, but just didn't think through things enough sometimes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I also, well, you don't know what you don't know. Right? You don't know what you don't know. And I also think that there's this idea that rock climbing guides don't have to be paid well. And I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Like I see the numbers, I run my business and I know it does not make sense to me to have somebody barely being able to scrape by while I'm living inside of a house comfortably. Mm. That makes no sense to me. And looking at the numbers, if the businesses are run better, then that shouldn't have to happen. Mm. And so to me, I think like we've created this myth that that's just what it is. And I think that needs to be restructured and challenged. I think that there are ways that we can charge our participants more because these people who are coming to rock climbing clinics, they can usually afford to, to be charged a fair wage, not more than fair, like just market value, but enough to pay my guides. Well, mm -hmm. like there is no reason that they should be working a job that requires them to have professional training and not be able to live off of the payment from it. That's not a sustainable industry. And so Yes, I understand and I have made mistakes, but I also think in an established business, there's no reason for that to be continuing to exist. And that idea being perpetuated is kind of a bunch of bullshit looking at the numbers. Go, she moves mountains. You're going to flip this thing upside down. In our tiny little corner of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I, I mean, I think that's, I think you have a great opportunity to do things better. And it sounds like you're on your way to doing it. And I also can say this all as being like a newly 30 year old woman with no family to take care of. Sure. <laughs> so I want to acknowledge my privilege and my lack of debt right. in saying these things because I come into, into this space as a business owner without a family. I come into it as like a woman who, while I've had like some challenges in my life has an immense amount of privilege, but I also understand that maybe it's easy for me to say these things as a na naive 30 year old without a family and like other bills coming in. So it's easy for me to talk shit when I'm in this position <laughs> right now. Maybe, maybe that'll look different in the future. Who knows? But I hope it doesn't. Privilege disclaimer. Privilege disclaimer. All right. Well, let's get to, uh, let's get to your rock climbing. Cause I want to talk to you about climbing rocks. Um, so in my research for this, I, I was on Facebook and I came across this, goofy and wonderful video <laughs> it's, it's a few years old the name of the video is we may never climb 513 but i guarantee you we are having a good time <laughs> and it's a video of you and your friends just being ridiculous and having what looks like a ton of fun but the funny thing i'm watching this and it's a few years old and i'm just thinking well the thing is you probably will climb 513 <laughs> and you're probably going to do it pretty soon <laughs> Like you've been climbing harder and harder routes and, uh, I've been hearing you talk about some pretty big goals. So I would love to ask, um, how has your mind changed around projecting and working towards improving and kind of pursuing your potential? 
progression with rock climbing is one of the coolest things. I think most people who are drawn to rock climbing are drawn to it because it's challenging. And if you're someone like me who has massive amounts of time to go rock climbing, you're inevitably going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just going to happen. And so I think when I first started rock climbing, I looked at people who climbed 5'11", and I thought to myself, you know, if I could be a solid 5'11 climber, actually, okay, let's be real. I thought if I could be a solid 5'10 climber, I'm going to be so happy. Totally. I'm going to be good to go. And then I became a solid 5'10 climber, and I can, for the most part, on site every 5'10 I try. There are some exceptions like this summer, uh, <laughs> but for for the most part, I feel really confident on trad or sport in my ability to like on-site 510, except at Smith. And then I started doing that with 511s and I was like, okay, like this is great. And then I started looking at these lines though, and it would just be something about the route that inspired me. I don't even know what makes me drawn to a specific route. It's usually photos or the thought of like how many people have done it or the challenge of it. I mean, harder climbs just look cooler. They look really pretty. They do. They're so pretty. And and so for me, I started seeing my ability to do things fairly casually without basically any training like I don't train I eat kind of basically whatever I want to I I, in moderation but like right next to me is a brownie and a glass of wine and two chocolate bars right now so (laughs) it's like I I mean uh, in your defense I brought over the chocolate bars we haven't opened them yet you're not just like surrounded by empty candy wrappers that's true that's true and dark chocolate it's fine but all that to say... It, Antioxidants. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Training has never been a big thing for me, but then I, as I've become better at climbing, I start seeing these lines that I want to do. And most of the time, it had been an inspiration of climbing harder routes in the mountains. So one of my huge goals this summer was I wanted to climb this route called Der Sportsman. And I, it's an 11 plus on this feature called Prussic Peak, which is about a 10 mile hike in. It's, and it's up in the enchantments and in, in outside of Leavenworth, Washington. Mm-hmm. And it has, I think, one, two, three, three or four pitches of 5.11 and the rest are 5.10. And for, for me, uh, for the general badass, that's not that big of a deal. But for me, that's a big deal. And I went out in the summer and I did it clean. The, like the first time I'd ever been on it. And I thought like, whoa. This is going to make, okay, I realize it might sound a tiny bit douchey right now. But Go for it. I, I just like, when I got down from it, I was like, whoa, I'm a badass. Like, <laughs> I felt so cool. <laughs> Love that. And I know in the general, like in the grand scheme of climbing, it is nothing but like. It's a badass route. It's a cool route. And I felt so proud of myself to be able to keep it together and to do it. And it makes you curious. You just start getting curious. Like, well, if I could do that, like what else am I capable mm, of? Ah. It's, yes. it's that like thing. And I like challenge. Like the, the second that rock climbing becomes easy, like I don't really want to do it. And so the way I've tried to describe it to others is that like climbing harder and harder roots is just because like, that's now where my challenge is at. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a five twelve climber. I want to climb this route because it's like this great. It's like, well, that's where I find my challenge now because I've climbed for a while now, about five years 
um, well, over five years now. And like, I, and this is the spot where I find the challenge. And so what that looks like for me now, last year, my goal was that I wanted to send, I had sent like a 12 minus once in Indian Creek, which anybody listening to this would probably be like, oh, it's probably super soft. And it was hard for me and I was really proud of it. So <laughs> it probably wasn't that soft. It, it was not, nah, it may, I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with soft roots. You know, if you find, if you're trying to break into 512 and you climb a 512 that's on the lower end of 512, that's really smart. That's a great place to start. And it was great. It's called Extra Lean. It's an Indian Creek on the second meat wall and it's a hard route and really cool. And I was so psyched and it used to be graded 11 plus. And so when I got down, I was like, dude, I just did this. And so I was like, oh, that's such a sick 11 plus. And looked, I was like, it's 512. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> all that to say the following fall, I just decided I like to set goals because I don't know, it's nice to have something to work towards. And I wanted to send 512 trad routes in four different locations. That was my goal. And for specific locations or just for different locations anywhere. Like, yeah. I just needed them to be different because I didn't want, you know, if you do like one thing one time, then it's like, that's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But if you can do that same thing in different locations, it kind of like more establishes yourself as like, okay, I can climb 12 minus. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I wanted to, to be in different places and I did my first one in Squamish and then I set my eyes on winter sustenance at Trout Creek. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> Winter sustenance is like a 12B slash C, so it gets a mid 512. And I'd never sent to 511 at that point in time at Trout. And people, my my friends who are just sweethearts, like we're recommending like, well, if your goal is to just climb 512, like why don't you try this like 12 minus that has just these couple moves or like this one or that one. I was like, no, I want to do winter sustenance. <laughs> I love that. And so I did, I just went and I would try over and over again. And I had so much support from so many people as I started getting closer and closer and closer. And it took me probably about a month of like thinking about this route pretty solidly. And I could only try like one day and then I needed a rest day. And then okay. maybe even like if I tried leading it, I would usually try about three times. And the next day I was destroyed. I had, I couldn't even like leave my house. <laughs> so were you going out there more or less every other day for a month? Uh, probably like one day and then like, if I'm being realistic, it was probably like two rest days because I okay. like wasn't ready to go again. I was just like more recovered. Two, three days a week, something like that. Yeah. And then I finally did it. And then... This, That's a solid project. Yeah, it, it was solid. That's like a solid number of tries. And and I worked it. I tried really hard and I, I saw pictures of me on it. So the time I ended up sending it was my third go of the day. And it's like a hundred foot route. It's a tall route. Yeah. And the biggest piece of gear on the whole thing is one is a 0.5. Like it's a, it's a solid finger crack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, I saw a picture of me and I'm like pretty ripped. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. That's me. What yeah. That's that? a hard hike too. Yeah. <laughs> Get like, some good cardio every day. Cardio, trying hard. And then I think, over the the following year, it's just been this like, well, what's, what's next for me? And the summer, like the following summer was a lot of alpine climbing and that kind of stuff. And I had such an amazing alpine season. And then coming into this fall, I actually picked a, an easier project at Trout. Well, it's great at easier, but it's really hard and it was super cool. But I did it on my fourth try leading it. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that's a lot quicker. And so I just, 
as curiosity as like, well, what else can I do? <laughs> and so I tried these two 12 pluses and I did them on top rope my first try. Whoa. On each of them. And I was like, whoa. This is a trout? This is a trout. Which ones? Um, There was Reservation Blues and Full Clip. Okay. And yeah, they're both 12 pluses. They're really cool. So you do them on top rope first try. Mm-hmm. And then what? Do you start the process and try to... Well, then I wanted to start the process, but um, I had to leave town to work at a women's climbing festival and then I started traveling a bunch. So okay. I, I, well, I did go back to try full clip. I'm, I took a pretty bad fall this summer, so I'm being conservative with leading. Um, so I, like before I go for the lead, I just like need a little bit more confidence because I got pretty hurt. And yeah. And that was a fall at the lower gorge. Here yeah. At yeah. I forgot. Do you want to sure, talk sure, about sure. that? Briefly? Yeah. So, um, my partner, partner in climbing, it's kind of hard to say. Cause like it's my boyfriend, Chris Wright, but I like to use the word partner, but that gets confusing. Right. So <laughs> my climbing partner and my boyfriend, uh-huh. Chris Wright, One and I, uh, he was gone most of the summer when I had this amazing climbing season and he came back. And when he came back, we went climbing at Smith and I think I was just like pretty proud of my climbing. And he's like, you should try to onsite this route. And I like, I was like, only if there's good gear. Cause that's kind of like my requirement. I'm not super into sketchy routes unless they're well below my grade. And he's like, no, you've got it. And he looked it up online. I'm making him sound bad. Like he looked it up and like, he's like, yeah, I think you've got this. And it's hard to know down there too. Cause the, the gear's pretty tricky. Like, I mean, is, I mean, is that fair to say like uh, across the board as compared to other trad climbing areas? Yeah. I mean the lower gorge, there, there's a few routes like 510, most amazing 510 ever. 511, there's probably like two or three that are like Maybe I, I truly only think there's one that's like super safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember placing a blue ball nut, like a mandatory blue ball nut, I think on an 11B. Yeah. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Too. What is that called? Krakenogo. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it was that one or not. That one's just like a bunch of uh, purple and silver TCUs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It might've been, um, uh, is it crime wave? I don't know. I haven't done it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The lower gorge is just, it's a, it's a scary place to onsite. And I'm not super comfortable with placing a lot of nuts and smaller gear. And I got up there and I climbed in this spot and I was so pumped. I was probably about two thirds up the route and I tried really hard and I get up and I'm like, my last piece of gear is at my feet. I don't love it. And I don't see another piece of gear for like a body length. And I have worked so hard. My body's so tired that I'm just like, I'm not going to be able to do this safely. I need to down climb. So I started down climbing to my last piece and I went to grab it to take on it. And I think I pulled the trigger wires. I I mean, I can't, I don't know. It all happened so quickly, but Mm. I grabbed it and I fell 25 feet and I slammed into a roof near the beginning of the climb and got whiplash. And so like I had like huge gashes on my right shin and my left knee and I had like scorpioned around my harness. Um, I just felt like I like flopped and then felt myself getting jerked forward and I had like a hard time walking. I fucked up my sciatic nerve and my lower back and I was so sad because I was so strong at the time. Yeah. And so coming back from that has been an interesting process of like 
wanting to try hard because I'm actually like the recovery time for climbing wasn't that long. I, I like climb hiking with a backpack is still hard, but like I can climb about the same, but I have like problems with my sciatic nerve and, um, even now, even now. Okay. And we're talking, this is for uh, listeners. This is we're in mid December now. Probably won't put this episode out till later, but, and the accident happened when in August, in August. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's still like, I'm still recovering from it. Yeah. And the mental side of it is been pretty challenging. And so like in terms of leading, I was really scared of falling for a while. One, because my back was still in pain. And now as I'm getting better, it's like, I'm now I'm like, okay, now it's like, that felt like pretty rational. Like my fear of falling was pretty rational at that point in time because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to mess myself up. And now my back is mostly better. It's just like, small things and I feel like my fear is now in my head a little bit but all that to say like in projecting it's been like I want to be like confident on a route before I go into it and so with trad like you can do a lot of things to be pretty confident and so going back to these routes that I was working on this the I decided on this 112 plus um because it felt more secure to me Okay. And I even got to the point, I'm such a baby right now, but I top roped it three times clean while placing gear on it. Oh man. But like I was placing gear on top rope three times in a row and it was just like, then why don't you just lead it? But I still haven't let it. Um, right now the season's just like pretty rough, mm-hmm. but yeah. So it's been a cool thing where I start seeing my capabilities also like as you do, anytime you're pushing a limit or your limit, you're, you're going to be risking something. And especially with track climbing, there's a lot more ways to make mistakes and being me, I have to, I exist on this borderline of boldness and stupidity. And I try to like tame myself because it is the right thing to do, but it's, it's hard to know. And so I feel like, after having a fall, like I had the summer, it's really hard to trust myself again <laughs> to know when it's the time to go hmm. and when is it the time to push again. And, and so I try, I, I think I end up going on the side of being more conservative because I'm just scared of trusting myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so that was like climbing this fall and I've been climbing pretty strong and, especially tried climbing. I'm a terrible sport climber (laughs) and boulderer. But so that started putting in my brain, like if I could do that, that easily, um, I started dreaming of moonlight buttress. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering if you were going to bring that up or not. I'm, I'm hesitant to say it out loud because it's something to me that I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, but talking to friends who have been the ones who were like, Hey, why don't you try this like easier thing out of kindness? Um, have said that they know that I could do it. And so it's like, well, if these people who have been like, have, have like, Oh, they've said that in the past about other like things. Doubted me in ways and, and not in like a bad way, like in a really realistic way. Yeah. Like an appropriate amount of doubt. Yeah. Like we want you to have a good experience sort of, Totally. Sort of way. And, and those are the same people that are now saying like, yeah, you can probably do this thing. They've done the route and they're like, yeah, you've got this. Oh, that's so cool. And so it's this, it's this beautiful route in Zion national park. And it's, I think 10 pitches and six of them are five twelve, and one's a 12 plus. And I don't know, maybe I won't even like it. 
so who knows, but like, I really want to go give it a try. So this March, I think I'm going to spend like most of the month in Zion. That is so awesome. And I'm really psyched to give it a try. Yeah. And see what it's about. And maybe it'll end up being a bigger project than I think, but like. Maybe it will. But I mean, if anything, it's going to plant the seed and it's going to show you, it's going to direct your progress and your work moving forward. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't exactly know what you're what's holding you back from doing it until you try. But if you don't do it this season, I mean, you're getting, what are you like five years into your climbing at this point? Yeah. Five years <laughs> in like a few months. <laughs> yeah. A few years down the road, you're going to be way stronger than you are now. I think it's just a matter of time. If you, if you keep trying it, it's yeah, it's a fun thing. I think projects give a little bit of purpose or direction in life and, once again, I feel like I want to acknowledge my privilege because like I have the ability to find purpose and not just like have it like given to me by what I need to do to survive. But something like climbing, when you work remotely and I don't have to like for most of the year, I don't have to be anywhere at basically any time. Mm-hmm. And I everyone's going to hate me listening to this, but I don't like set alarms in the morning. Cause I think that I need to sleep as much as my body wants me to. That is the dream. <laughs> and, and, and I'm fairly unstructured, but I actually like structure. It's just really hard to create it or to force it. And so something like a project, like having something like moonlight in my mind gets me super psyched and gets me like going and motivated to get things done so I can do my work and get strong and all of these things. And I really like being motivated and having direction. And this is kind of a tangent back to Shima's mountains, but like I've been doing the same job now for a few years and it's become almost easy for me. Like I know how to build our website. I know how to update it. I know how to make it better. I run our social media. I guide, I do all these things, but they're easy for me now. They're not challenges. Mm -hmm. And so it's more just like checking off boxes, but something like moonlight gives me something to aspire to Mm -hmm. and something to work towards. And it gives me direction and purpose. And so I'm really excited to have, even though I haven't touched it and maybe I'm going to dislike the route and be like, Oh, why did I think about this thing so much? But right now, it's driving me to wake up earlier and to get to the gym and it's driving me to like start running. And I agreed to go on a sport climbing trip just to purely get stronger, even though I don't even really want to go sport climbing. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think climbing is this cool thing where you can find these lines or things that motivate you. And I'm super psyched for the spring. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm just curious, I have to ask this. So like how much intentional planning are you, are you doing right now towards that specific goal? Is it just like you're waking up and going to the gym and you're sport climbing just to get stronger in general? Like to what level have you kind of broken it down and thought about these are the things I need to do to prepare for, for moonlight? I think based on what I've talked about with my friends, I'm pretty prepared for moonlight. In the, in the grand scheme of like the routes. Your, your trad climbing ability and. Yeah, my trad climbing ability is super good. I think that what would hold me back and is my, I place too much gear and I get really scared 
Okay. Um, so, you know, you have Smith rock right in your back. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to work on. So it's, it's probably going to sound so silly, but today the climbing gym, I get so scared leading in the gym. Hmm. Even last year I was scared on like five nines and my heart would be racing. That's interesting. And, and so I've been working on trying to get myself to try hard above gear. Okay. And whether that be a bolt as my gear. And so I think for me, it's just like people keep asking me, I've been climbing a lot at Smith lately and they're like, what are you projecting? And all my friends, I'm like the weakest climber. <laughs> I'm literally projecting their warmups. And so they're like, what are you projecting? And I, I, my response now is I'm projecting fear hmm. because I have, I, I don't think I've ever really done that. I've just built the endurance to be able to place as much gear as I want. Mm-hmm. And hold on and climb and send. But I think I need to get myself to sport climb because I think sport climbing forces you to climb above bolts, especially at Smith. And so my goal right now, I guess my intentional training is just like getting myself to be unafraid of falling because my fear of falling holds me back a lot. I am, I'm pretty strong and I'm like, especially with trad climbing, I'm if it's straight in, sometimes it's harder for me, but if I can use my feet, if there's any like sort of like bend in the rock, like I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to pure like armed things or stuff like that. So like, I think for me, intentional training right now is just overall fitness. I started running again cause I wasn't. So after my fall this summer, it was, it was hard for me to walk for a while and I couldn't, put a backpack on I couldn't strap it across my waist and so my partner Chris he would like he never like said it but he was always packing his backpack to have like everything and I just carried like my personal climbing gear yeah <laughs> and so I lost That's a lot good of guy yeah he's probably just training for his mountaineering shit <laughs> I know <laughs> he's like here let me be gracious and help you he's really just like yes training load more weight more weight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he was super great, but it was also like I lost a lot of fitness from that, like yeah. from this period of time. I mean, I got used to carrying a pretty heavy backpack over quite a few miles in elevation gain this summer, and then I lost a lot of fitness. So right now, I don't know how to train intentionally. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> who I'm talking to right now, I've been like, "Hey, dude." So it's really it's it, that's trickier for me because I think like earlier we talked about like fun being one of my main priorities. Yeah. And I don't know how to make training fun. Right. (laughs) I'm laughing because, oh my gosh, I don't know if it was a year or two ago. (laughs) You told me about this ab circuit that you're doing and you described this, this ab circuit from hell that is like the most horrendous thing I could possibly imagine, but you did it and you did it for, I think a long time Mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. I did it for a while, but we're going to make your training a lot more enjoyable. So I think I need to work. I went to, I went to a class Okay. last week and I was psyched. I like did some normal working out at the (laughs) climbing gym here. Yeah. Okay. I did it. Cool. Um, but then I was supposed to do it yesterday and I went skiing instead. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So structure for training for climbs, but I think I would like to learn a little bit more because there are goals now, like as I get better at climbing, it's like, okay, you reach a, a spot where I think more directed training is needed, mm-hmm. but I have huge gaps in my skill set. Okay. I can barely do pull-ups. Um, I like, I have really strong legs. Like 
Yeah, the curse of becoming a good climber too early, like a technically good climber. Yeah. It's really hard to get strong. It's really hard to get when strong. When you can rely on your footwork all the time. Yeah. And was... Trout Creek, for, for listeners, just for reference, I mean, the footwork is very technical. Um, you're not foot jamming very often, not on anything hard. It's like really technical stemming. Um, are there edges at all there? Or is it re- it's really just like textured kind of stemming, little ripples and Every things like that. Every once in a while, you'll get a nice like piece in it, but it's mostly just texture. Yeah. yeah. Much, probably much more technical than the average Smith rock climb, like even like pretty hard sport climbing Smith. Mm-hmm. What's it called when you do a squat with one leg out? A pistol squat? Yeah. Can I tell you, I'm bragging myself for a minute because I'm yeah. pretty proud of this. Please do. This summer I was at the climbing gym with my friend Sarah, who is who I make all my weird like music videos with. And uh, she was telling, we had, <laughs> we went upstairs to pretend that we were like working out and I'm using air quotes right now. Um, and it ended up us just like literally like making a choreography dance we like choreographed we're not good dancers by the way like this is like it looks like we're like six years old trying to choreograph a dance for ourselves and then we were talking about this youtube video she saw of some famous climber doing pistol squats and she did 10 i was like i wonder how many i could do and i did 10 on my first time ever trying wow i have super strong legs yeah I was pretty stoked. All those alpine approaches. I don't even know if that's cool or not, but I felt cool in that moment. I think it is. That's pretty good. So I have really strong legs, but I can't really like do pull-ups. So like my upper body strength is legitimately like really poor. Or I tried this route at Smith the other day and my friends are like, I was like, no, I shouldn't try it. Like that's way too hard for me. They're like, just try it. See how it goes. And like my like fingertips were like fucking hurting so bad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, finger cracks don't like translate to like pulling down. Yeah. It's very different. They're very different. In, in what way was it hurting? Was it like your, the skin or actually like your tendons and aching, aching fingers? Well, it hurt afterwards. Like I, f- I don't even know. It just like everything felt hard and <laughs> achy. I was okay. like, what the, f- what did I just do? Yeah. But it was really fun okay. and I could do the moves. What was it? What was the round? I tried churning. Oh Yeah. Nice. It was really cool. For listeners, that's a maybe the most popular 13A at Smith Rock. Not too long, maybe like 60 feet, really continuous style. It's just like a total power endurance sprint, but it doesn't have great holds. It's pretty fingery. Yeah, it was pretty fingery. Fingery power endurance. <laughs> pockets and gas stones. It's kind but of, three kind of finger jams. You got three fingers in those pockets? There were jams. Jams. There's like... Oh, know, yeah. Okay. There's a couple in the seam. Yeah found them yeah i bet you did (laughs) (laughs) you find any hand jams there were no hand jams but there is one on overboard nice i've never used it of course you haven't (laughs) um one thing you've mentioned in the past that i thought was really interesting i think it was at some point when you're getting started with your business and you're going through um a tougher patch or just kind of a um, a struggle with that. You kind of developed a meditation practice at some point. Is that something that I'd be curious to ask what that looks like for you now? Is that something that you still do? I wish it was something that I still do. And I literally thought about it this morning. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, I guess I'll ask, what did that look like at the time? There is this app called Calm. And this is not a paid advertisement. It's just like, I truly believe in this beautiful app we're not getting a payout from calm no but calm if you ever want to like 
do anything. Hit me Just up. let me know. The nuggetclimbing.com. <laughs> um, no, but, but Calm was this app that I tried. So I've seen it, but I haven't actually tried it. Is it like a guided meditation? Yeah. Or? So it's guided meditation. It also has like something called master classes, which. I've also really enjoyed it. So what my meditation looked like during that time, it was just like 10 minutes in the morning and it's these guided meditations and you just sit and you reflect. And I mentioned this previously where I felt like I had a really tough time being present. And in these meditations, it was like an ability to be present. And then another practice was the practice of gratitude hmm. that I learned through one of the master classes. And, I think one of the things I struggle with now a lot, especially with like the life that I've led is that I feel like I still go through quite the same range of emotions as I did when I was throughout my whole life, except for my life is so much more calm now. And it's super strange to be someone who, who has all of my basic needs met. And when I was growing up, that wasn't always the case. When you say your life is more calm now, do you mean just as far as what's going on in your day to day? Or do you mean your, how you are within your life now? I, I guess. Does that question make sense? No, it totally makes sense. It's more just about, it's, it's hard to talk about without like getting too deep into my growing up, which I don't really want to do to a large extent. Okay. But I think the way that I can best describe it is that my upbringing was very tumultuous. And I think when having a mother who has bipolar disorder, it, it led things to go in this like wave of like highs and lows, highs and lows. And there'd be times where she would be like super depressed. And that meant she was in bed. She didn't get out of bed and things were really hard on all of us. And then she would go through a manic phase where she was really excited and things were really fun. And it was like, go, 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 go. And so, um, naturally as a child, like you're going to go through highs and lows. And that happened all throughout high school and, and into early college. And I think that's what's strange to me is that like my life is pretty steady now. Like I have good friends. I have a roof over my head. I have a great like partner. I have a solid job and yet I still find myself like going through highs and lows. Okay. And I feel really guilty about that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because there's not anything terrible happening like there used to be. There used to be so many bad things happening that it made sense to me to have like a high and a low. And now it's like, I still have highs and lows, but there's nothing really that bad happening in the grand scheme of things. And so this meditation practice taught me to practice gratitude. And I think it's something that I needed because I have had a hard time, like feeling grateful for this amazing life I get to lead. And that's how it feels. It's like, man, I look at my life from like the outside. I like take a step back and I think like, who you are and what you get to do. Like you're so fortunate. Hmm. How come you don't feel that way? Yeah. And I can feel really guilty at times for that. And so I've tried to like develop practices to allow myself to reflect on that. And also just realizing that sometimes it's just how I'm going to feel. So when you ask about the meditation, like the guided meditation is great. And then the master classes have been great. And then the practices of gratitude and practicing gratitude has been great. And that just, for me, that looks like writing down like 
five things a day that I'm grateful for and they should be different things. And then another thing that like they suggested is like writing a message to a friend, like a heartfelt message to a friend and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm really like grateful for like these things you've done. And usually like that, that spurs like conversations of gratefulness and like identifying places of gratefulness. Cause sometimes I think it's really easy to get caught up into the little things of life and that totally makes sense. But for me, I just, adults also met with this guilt of like, okay, like you're safe now. Things are okay now. Like appreciate that. Well, it's tough too. Cause we, we have this, we have this negative bias. I mean, biologically we kind of evolved to be really aware of any negative thing. Cause it would have been a survival advantage, right? So focus on this negative thing because we perceive it as a threat. And if you're aware of it, then you avoid it and you stay alive. But in today's world where we don't have objective danger and where we have so many more inputs and things coming at us and stress in the form of job stress or someone that says something bad about you or whatever, our lizard brain just perceives that as the same the same old threat, right? And mm-hmm. so if if you're going about your day and 10, you hear like a compliment from 10 different people and they're amazing heartfelt compliments and then you hear one negative thing, you're just going to go home and fixate on that negative thing the rest of the day mm-hmm. or week for that matter. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's really, that's really cool to hear. Um, I've recently been really, really fascinated with gratitude. I kind of think it's like the, maybe the, antidote to almost every negative thing we experience as humans negative um emotional thing anyway but it's a practice it is i think that's one of the things that i've been learning is that it's just like anything else it's a practice and you have to engage with it and i really appreciate your like scientific perspective of like well, we're conditioned to be this way, to see the negatives and everything. It makes me feel like a little bit less bad about feeling, I truly feel guilty about like being sad now. Cause I'm like, what the hell do you have to actually be sad about? I'm like, you went through all of these things and now, now you're sad because what? And so it's nice to hear like the perspective of like, yeah, but that's just kind of how we evolve. And, and how we, we stay alive. We normalize things so quickly too, right? Mm-hmm. We can't be processing everything around us consciously all the time. So we just kind of get used to stuff and then it just becomes taken for granted. And and just, we don't even almost notice these amazing things around us every day. Totally. But I, and then, so I like the practice. I think gratitude is super important. I think you're right that it's the solution to so many things, but I also want to like reiterate that it's an active practice. Sometimes you like, one of the things that I liked about my meditation was that it taught you to seek gratitude, that even when you can't feel it, it's maybe the times you need to be looking for it the most. Mm, Yeah. And I, I appreciated that perspective just to think that's a really valuable thing. I like that. Is there, I'm curious with your writing practice. So you said you write down five things. Yeah. Um, is there a, do you have like a time of day? Is that like first thing in the morning? Is that like a certain, do you like reflect at the end of the day? Like, what does that look like for you? I generally try to do that kind of stuff in the morning because okay. it's a quieter time of day. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect segue. Um, is there anything in particular that you're especially grateful for 
lately? Does anything come to mind? And I'm going to actually, I'm going to make this a little bit, I'm going to put a little bit of a um, limitation on this. You can't say your opportunity to climb and you can't say your opportunity to have this business. I mean, I think you're clearly very grateful for those things, but I'd love to hear um, about something else. I feel really grateful for Chris. Yeah. (laughs) Like when... I feel kind of Your dorky. Partner, partner. Yeah, my my partner, partner. I feel really dorky saying that, and if he was around, I probably wouldn't be saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> we won't let him listen. To <laughs> he doesn't get to hear. Um, but yeah, he's he's just a really like pretty great human, um, and I he's newer in my life in like the last year, but. I have never really felt that someone could like understand all of the parts of me Hmm. and I'm sure he doesn't understand all of the parts of me, but, um, probably hasn't seen them all yet. No, but he's seen a lot of them (laughs) (laughs) and, and he's just, I think that he like celebrates me. I feel like I get to be my whole self and like that, the whole version of me, like I show up as, as me all the time and it's, somebody that's who's appreciated and that is very very cool yeah he is just a great human so it feels really dorky to say like yeah but if i could think of like the one thing that i feel most grateful for in my life right now it's him what is something um that you're excited about right now i'm really excited to see we're, we're getting apparel for the first time, like for Shimu's Mountains. Okay. So we have hats and beanies and <laughs> okay. sweatshirts and stuff. And I don't know if they're, I'm always like really cautious with things. I don't think I do business like most people do where they like put a bunch of like, they take a lot of risks up front financially. I'm like, that's really funny coming from you. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but like financial risks are not something I usually do. Um, and like buying apparel feels like that because you have to pay for it all up front and you don't know if people are going to want it. And you have to commit to a pretty decent amount of it. Yeah, you have to. And so, um, I just started working on that. So we have like hats and beanies and it's a silly thing. It's such a small thing, but I'm like really excited about my business and figuring out what to do with it. And this just seems like another way to like play and see like, Oh, what could I do with this? And (laughs) I have, I'm so curious. Are, is that something that, um, people are asking for people have been asking for stuff for a while yeah i kind of figured yeah i think you're gonna do all right with that then yeah it'll be cool to see how it goes but i also think like the name of the company is she moves mountains and i think that can it it comes from like this poem that i read a really really long time ago okay and i think the idea of she moves mountains is much more than the rock climbing company she moves mountains and so i think that the apparel could be an extension of the brand in a way that people like might not even know that it's about rock climbing hmm. or where it comes from, but that I'm excited just to like play with something else. Cause I said earlier, the business is getting a little easy for me. Mm-hmm. And so now it's time for a new challenge. I like that. And so, yeah, I'm just exploring some areas with apparel and what that could look like for us. Cool. When, when do you think people will be able to get your stuff? They already pre well, I got the designs done and then people were already pre ordered stuff. Nice. Yes, nice. that's nice. And when will they uh when will they ship? They shipped today. <laughs> the hats and Perfect. the beanies shipped today, but the sweatshirts haven't been designed yet. Where are you selling that stuff? Is that through your website? Through shimusmountains.org. As she pops the cork and pours more wine. 
<laughs> Perfect. Well, um, we're at about an hour and a half. I'll probably start wrapping up. What do you have coming up for stuff with She Moves Mountains? Um, do you have events coming up, clinics? Um, what, what can people be looking out for this spring and maybe this summer, 2020? 2020, our schedule will start up at probably the last weekend of March. Our full schedule is actually live already. It's December, but we have, so our, our clinics go from intro to outdoor rock climbing for people who have never rock climbed before to self-rescue, leading trad, multi-pitch stuff. That's already all listed. We're doing a few less clinics just because there are, we don't want to overwhelm the park, but there's always like the op- opportunity to hire a private guide so we have our guides available all the time okay you just want to like plan your own clinic but yeah so we have like a full schedule starting almost every weekend uh, last week in march through end of september something that's new that's really cool is the mindfulness and no it's meditation and yoga backpacking retreat Whoa, cool. They're going to be happening in the Olympic National Forest National Park this summer, led by Tori, who I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And she is one of, she was a past client of ours. So she came to like our very first leading sport clinic. And you've kind of, you've called her like your right hand woman. She's my right hand woman. I I got two of them. You got two. Katie Paulson, Tori Leshy. They're like, they're my girls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so they've, they've just like, they've carried me and Tori started the backpacking program. That is all her work. A hundred percent. Like I provide advice here and there. I'm almost like a mentor role, but everything that you see is Tori. And, um, it's cool. Cause it's not until July. We only have eight spots and already two of them. It's December. Eight spots. And already two of them are already six spots remaining folks. Six spots as now, as of now we'll see. Um, but so I'm really psyched for that, which is, will be a really cool program to see how it goes. And we're also trying a couple's backpacking retreat. Okay. Um, because that's something I, do you, do guys come to any of your other stuff or do you allow that? How how does that (laughs) work? Great question. So it was actually really funny. Last year I chose to teach an advanced trad clinic just Mm -hmm. as kind of like a beta testing thing. And one of my past participants, her and her boyfriend at the time had hired me as a private guide for something else. And then he signed up for my clinic Uh and I was like, huh, is that the first time someone, like, yeah, a guy had the, done that? it was the first time. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, I guess it's a co-ed clinic. So then from there, I just, because it, her, it was her, her partner, and then, like, her friend. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was a max ratio of three, so they sold out the clinic. Okay. And I was like, well, maybe other people would want to come. Like, maybe guys want to learn from me. Yeah. And so I, like, opened it up, and it was funny, because it was the first time, it was... I was curious like what his experience was like being the only male in a group of women. And yeah. Did you ever find out? I asked him, but his, his partner, she's so funny. Um, she's like, probably feels like what it feels like for us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It was great. Um, no, I, I, we've tried to do co-ed stuff, but I think just because of our name, like if, if a guy's going to come learn something, he's not going to be like, Oh, she moves mountains. Like that's who I want to learn this skill from. Right. Which is totally fair. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and so the schedule that you have posted 
information about these different events and clinics and stuff, that's all on your website? Yep. Anywhere else that people can go to, to learn more stuff about your company? Nope. That's the place. Shemoosmountains.org. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. I mean, we have an Instagram and it's on the Googles. we have a Facebook and all that kind of stuff, which are all linked through our website. And, but I try to keep our Instagram, not just like one giant ad to yeah. try to make it a space of just like what it looks like to be a woman in the, out, a woman in the outdoors. And so it's not all about Shemoos Mountains. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Um, do you have any final advice for any women or anyone for that matter who are thinking about trying something scary or something new or both, whether that's signing up for one of your clinics for the first time, if they have no experience with rock climbing and it seems really intimidating or someone, maybe a woman out there who's thinking about starting her own business and just hasn't been able to, to take the first step. Do you have any thoughts? I'm putting you on the spot. No, it's fine. Um, so I've told this story a few times because I think it's pretty significant in res- and it's an answer to your question. So the first time that I went to climb in El Shelten, which is a region in Southern Patagonia, and it is the biggest mountain range I've ever climbed in. I was really, really scared. And I, started like crying before I left and I felt this like desire to write to my family. It was to my dad and my brothers. And I wrote in parentheses, like send to mom if something happens, but this is just for you guys. Cause she won't be able to handle these words. And what I wrote to them was like, I'm 99.9% sure I'm going to be okay, but there's like a small percent chance that I'm not. And in the event that I don't come back, like here is like what I want the world to know and what I want you guys to know. And what I said was, it's okay to be fearful. Like being afraid is what keeps us alive. But don't let the fear of being uncomfortable allow you to be stagnant. Hmm. And that's something that I like to tell people is like, what are, what are you afraid of? like investigate those fears. Sometimes they're real fears and sometimes those fears need to be respected. Mm -hmm. But sometimes those fears are fears based on like being uncomfortable or like they're irrational fears, fears of falling for rock climbing or fears of being embarrassed or whatever. And then like, if the worst case scenario happens, how bad is it? Yeah. And so really looking at these things you want to do and like, what's, what is the worst thing that can happen? Is this fear serving me? Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it is like, sometimes fear is protecting you, but a lot of the time I think it's holding us back. Hmm. And so I think it's like identifying those fears, giving them space, figuring out where they come from. And then deciding whether their fears to be respected or fears to be overcome. Awesome. Yeah. Where can people find you? I can be found at, at Lizzie Van Patten on Instagram. And that's about it. All right. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Well, I don't I would, post that much anymore, so I'm sorry. I'm kind of boring to follow. That's fine. That's totally <laughs> fine. The algorithm changed. You can only reach like 10% of your followers now anyway. So oh, Great, great, great. Yeah. Um, I would love to wrap up by reading a quote. And this is something I just kind of stumbled into recently. The quote is by Anais Nin. She's a French-Cuban-American who was a writer back in the 1940s. And the quote is, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. I just came across that like last week. And while I was preparing for this, I kind of stumbled into it again. I was like, you know, that makes me think of Lizzie Van Patten. (laughs) Uh, I think you've been so courageous taking the leap and building this business. I know you've um, encountered a few stumbles and it's just been, you've shown so much courage and pushing through them and moving beyond them. And I think you've really built something that has had already a huge impact for a lot of people. And I think it will continue to impact people. So I want to say thank you for being brave and for showing up. And I want to cheers you, but you have no wine left in your glass. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap this up so we can drink more wine. Cheers. (laughs) Thanks, Lizzie. Thank you. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 Sing one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it